What is good, guys? Welcome to Top House Sports, where we analyze and break down sports games from the week, as well as our reactions and predictions from this past week. I'm Hansu Chu, along with Kia Nushi, and we have a lot to talk about, so let's get started. So Sunday afternoon, it was an incredible game between the LA Lakers and the Dallas Mavericks. And in that game, the Lakers came back from down 27 points and escaped with a 111-108 to win. And in that game, there's a lot of surprises, a lot of you know, turn of events. And for you, Kia, what was your main takeaway from that game? Well, my main takeaway take was the fact that the Lakers were able to come back from such a big de- deficit and obviously get a win against the good Mavericks team. The Mavericks are doing pretty well. And I think uh, that puts the Lakers on, I believe, a three or four game winning streak. Yeah, a uh, three or four game winning streak versus the Pelicans, uh, Warriors, and the Mavericks with being the third team. Uh, that they'd be in a row and that kind of puts the Lakers in a good position to kind of go and try and fight for uh, a play-in spot given that their new roster it appears to be uh, gelling after the trade deadline we talked about it last time Um, I wasn't really quite sure how how they would gel uh, and they're gelling better than I thought they would another takeaway though unfortunately is that I believe uh, like I I believe I just saw recently that LeBron James is out for a pretty indefinite amount of time they don't really know how the extent of his injury is going to be and obviously he can't he went back into the game he played 37 minutes uh versus the versus the mavericks and what i'm reading on espn it says that the lakers will are going to reassess lebron in two weeks but two weeks in the nba is a long time there's a lot of games happening in two weeks so uh the lakers kind of got to try to win without lebron not um fall off and you know um you know, try to fight in fight for that playing playing spot without LeBron. So when he comes back, they can gel even more, and maybe you know, hopefully they can um, <clears throat> get a good seat. I, I also read somewhere they're trying to they hope to play the Kings in the first round if possible. So if they want to do that, they gotta you know keep the streak going and uh, hope the teams around them falter as well. Yeah, for me, the main takeaway I got from this game was that the Lakers made the right moves at the trade deadline, and they really put themselves on a path of success to sneak into the playing tournament. And let's talk about that one guy that has pretty much stolen the show for the Lakers in that game, Jared Vanderbilt, right? He, I think he was the biggest steal and the trade for the Lakers in the trade deadline. In that game against the Mavericks, 15 points, 17 rebounds, and in those 17 rebounds, eight of them were offensive rebounds and also accumulated four steals as well. And when I was watching that third quarter, it wasn't LeBron, it was not Anthony Davis, it was not Dennis Schroeder, it was Jared Vanderbilt that single-handedly turned the game around for the Lakers. And what he did was not by scoring, it wasn't by playmaking, it was just the hustle plays that he did. He was active, he was active on defense, making it hard for Luka and Kyrie to really catch the ball cleanly and be able to get good open shots in that third quarter. Not only that too, like his hustle plays, diving for those loose balls, grabbing offensive rebounds, trying to keep every possession alive for the Lakers, trying to get extra possessions for the Lakers was really the X factor for why the Lakers were able to come back and ultimately beat the Mavericks in that game. And he was just able to be in the right spots at the right time, you know, at the right position for LeBron to give him the ball or, you know, for him to be at a very serviceable position to maybe even dish it off to another person. So... Jared Vanderbilt really making his impact felt for the Lakers. And it was already talked about when the Lakers got Vanderbilt that, hey, he was going to be that defensive guy, defensive-oriented person that's going to bring a lot of hustle to this team. But I don't think the Lakers even realized how much of an impact he was going to have when they traded for him at the trade deadline. So props to Jared Vanderbilt. I see a mini 
Dennis Rodman in him, he's really going to be a big factor for if the Lakers are going to make the playing tournament. But again, like you just talked about uh, just seconds ago, Kia, LeBron did suffer a right ankle injury going up for a layup in the fourth quarter. And again, he did continue the rest of the game, but now he's out for an indefinite amount of time and will be reevaluated in two to three weeks. So for you, Kia, how does LeBron's injury affect the Lakers' chances of getting to the playing tournament or even the playoffs? And also for the Lakers, how can they continue to win without LeBron? Um, well, I mean, obviously LeBron is the uh, number one option on that team. He's averaging around 29 points, eight rebounds, uh, I believe eight assists. And like those are, again, incredible. Uh, eight, I mean, sorry, eight rebounds, seven assists. Those are incredible numbers. And um, with Anthony Davis being almost made of glass kind of um you need uh you need lebron's durability in that team to even have them competing uh for a play-in spot given how um <clears throat> given how in- inconsistent the lakers have been and how um mismatched their roster has been they don't really have a well-constructed roster they didn't have one before the trade deadline so obviously lebron's injury is a big hit to the lakers because uh, even though he's like 39 he's definitely probably still one of the best players in the league um well and the uh i would say the key to the lakers keeping up their winning streak without um without lebron being in the team is is going to have to be anthony davis obviously he's de- he's the second best uh, player on that team and he's def- uh, one of the be- most talented players in the league and the key for them is he has to stay healthy he has to be on the floor to be able to impact the Lakers in a positive way um, <clears throat> with LeBron going down you also lose your number one ball handler so uh, D'Angelo Russell Dennis Schroeder the guys that like you know have the ball have to be able to um, have to be able to move the rock around to the Lakers playmaker uh, playmakers uh like Anthony Davis, like a Jared Vanderbilt, is who's slowly becoming uh, like that, like a Malik Beasley, who 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 has averaged uh, good points per game before in uh, Minnesota, before obviously before making it in uh, making it in LA, and they need to not turn the ball over. They need to play some good defense. They need to knock down their threes, um, and if they can do that, they'll pro- they'll be in the hunt by the time LeBron gets back, and then hopefully uh, they'll be able to make the playoffs through the play and I don't really see a viable road for the Lakers to the playoffs out outside of the play and like I don't think they'll be a, they'll be able to get a high enough seed without LeBron um to just make the playoffs outright so I, I believe they're gonna have to try and fight and stay within uh the hunt for the play and so that when LeBron comes back they can kind of out talent the remaining teams in the play and tournament uh in order to <clears throat> in order to make the playoffs and then hopefully go uh, get lucky with their seating and then make a, a deep playoff run, if possible. Yeah, I mean, LeBron injury, like you said, it does suck for the Lakers. They're now on a winning streak, but now without their best player. I do agree, Anthony Davis now has to kind of turn into that 2020 Anthony Davis that we saw just dominate the entire league. And for the question with Anthony Davis, it's not about, yeah, he can stay healthy, but when he's on the floor sometimes, you just you see a lack of daisical Anthony Davis where he settles for jump shots after jump shots. And for the Lakers, if they want to continue their road to success without LeBron right now, he needs to put his head down and attack that basket. He needs to bully his way and do his bread and butter, which is get in the paint, do a lot of post-ups, and just use his tall wingspan to get the ball over outstretched defenders and of course when they're really backing that down then you could go for those mid-range jump shots but 
there's too many times where we see Anthony Davis settle for those jump shots instead of putting his head down and attacking the rim. So for Anthony Davis, we need to see him being more aggressive. D'Angelo Russell, we know he's injured, but he's going to be coming back this week. And that's really going to help the Lakers in terms of another playmaker without LeBron and another scoring threat. And a guy that doesn't really turn the ball over that much as well. So for the Lakers, help is on the way with D'Angelo Russell. And Malik Beasley, too, is going to be a huge factor like you talked about. He is probably the best three-point shooter on that team. So he's going to be a big factor if the Lakers can win. But this is why the Lakers made all those acquisitions at the trade deadline. Not because they saw LeBron getting injured, but it was because they saw that they did not have enough depth and they didn't have enough players that could fill in the role without, you know, when Russell Westbrook was on that team, Pat Bev, Thomas Bryant, when they were all on that team, they didn't really have that depth or the players that could really fit the role. But that's why they went through that trade deadline to get all these new players. And this is exactly why for now they could now we could see now that these new players that they got from the trade acquisition could really prove their worth on why they were traded to the Lakers. But in terms of how the Lakers will play now and where I see them without the injury, I do agree with you. They will definitely make the playing tournament. They have too much talent not to make it, but to kind of escape the playing tournament, get that top six seed, yeah, I do agree with you. I don't think it's um, in their realm now with LeBron being pretty much out for the rest of the regular season. So the playing tournament is probably where I see the Lakers. But one more thing too, for the Lakers, the worst thing you could do right now with LeBron being injured is to lose hope and to lose that energy that you guys had in that past three-game win streak. I know LeBron is your best player. He's kind of your leader. And when he goes down, you cannot lose hope. You have to keep playing with that same amount of energy. If anything, you have to play with more energy, more fire, more poise now with LeBron being injured because now you know that there's more at stake. So for the Lakers, you got to keep playing with more intensity, play with more heart because the worst thing you can do is lose hope. And that's when you lose hope, then you're not going to be able to make the playoffs at all. Yeah, absolutely. And then <clears throat> the, the the Lakers don't really, I don't think, have a road to... Uh, very high success this year. I don't think their team is constructed well enough to make it a, make a deep playoff run. But again, with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, you never know. But uh, the acquisitions they made at the trade deadline really did help them out, will help them out in the future, obviously. They got younger. They got more uh, crafty uh, with the players they got. Jared Vanderbilt, I'm surprised to learn, is 23. So that's a really young, young player on the team that can... Uh, Definitely help them, help them out uh, in the upcoming years. Rui Hachimura is someone I'm a really big fan of. He's only 25. D'Angelo Russell's not like you know super old. He's 27. And and uh, again, Austin Reeves, obviously Mo Bamba, Lonnie Walker. These players are good pieces that you can build around. Obviously, they'll they'll only improve if uh, if the Lakers believe they got the correct uh, coach in Darwin Ham. Is is these players are uh, pieces that are that can only improve and that can only get better uh, as as the years come and then. Obviously, a lot of these players are on cheaper contracts, so they can definitely um, build. A, uh, they can definitely be built around, and obviously, having the core of LeBron James and Anthony Davis um, as your two best players—that's probably one of the better uh, duos in the league. So, uh, the future is relatively bright for the Lakers. Uh, you wouldn't catch me saying that before the trade deadline, oh, but now, not, yeah. but but now it's definitely gone better, and uh, I'm I'm kind of excited to see the direction they're heading. Yeah, definitely, and I mean for the Lakers. I didn't really understand after that championship run that they felt the need to get a third star. I mean, the duo with LeBron and AD with great surrounding pieces literally won them a championship. So for them to kind of get 
trying to get another superstar with Russell Westbrook. I didn't really agree with that decision. They already had a recipe for success. So it's great to see them now going back to that championship DNA where they revolve their team around the two best players and fill in the rest with really great role players. I think that's really going to help them, you know, help them in the future with their success. But moving on to another game on Sunday that caught headlines. Damian Lillard of the Portland Trailblazers went absolutely nuclear against the Houston Rockets, dropping 71 points, which included 41 points in the first half, along with 13 three-pointers made. So let's just start it off with you first. When you saw that, what was your reaction? I mean, I'm a, one of the biggest fans of Damian Lillard. Uh, I, I love how he you know handles himself, how he plays the game. I'm not really super surprised. I was like, if there's anyone that's going to go off for that many points, it is going to be Dame because he's he's never afraid of uh, shooting the ball. You know, he doesn't care if there's three, four, five, six guys on him. He'll he'll make uh, he'll find the open space and he'll definitely uh, put up a shot. And then m- most times it'll go in. And I will be confident in saying that Damian Lillard is probably one of the best scorers we've seen in uh, the NBA in like a long time. Uh, the way he scores the basketball, obviously, in the 71-point game, he was 22 of 38 uh, and 13 of 22 from three. So, like, he just puts up shots. Um, obviously, against the Rockets being one of the worst teams in the NBA, that also helps. But, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I like to see uh, I like to see how he, uh, I like seeing how he performed. My gripe with not Lillard, but with the way the like the people in the NBA kind of go, I, like, I wish he would have just stayed in. The entire game. I know it's forty-eight minutes. I know yeah. he's gonna get tired, but if you're if you're at seventy-one, just let him stay in. Let him take all the shots. It doesn't really matter at that point um, how uh, you know how many minutes he's playing, how many shots he's putting up. Even if they if they're missing, as long as you know you want to see how how much he can, how high he can go. Seventy-one points is great. I'm sure he could have gone to eighty if he had played an extra five minutes and taken the, those shots. Um, so yeah, but again. The, the kind of always whenever Damian Lillard goes off you kind of uh, circle back to the whole idea of like is he being wasted in Portland and he is but you know it appears he's happy there everyone that uh, criticizes him about you know missing uh, missing the playoffs and not being really able to m- make that uh, the finals ever in his career even though he has made a conference championship he seems happy in Portland he wants to try to win in Portland but this just shows it's Portland's job to put those pieces around him and it's not like Portland is Oklahoma City. Like it's it's a beautiful place. It's on the West Coast. It's uh you know, it, it, I feel like it'd be more open. Um, uh, you um, players would be more receptive to joining Portland uh, as opposed to like some other markets. So you know you got to try to put those pieces around and make make those trades uh, to you know help them push for the playoffs. Because I'm seeing this lineup for the Trailblazers that Damian Lillard like plays with currently is Jeremy Grant, Cam Reddish, Drew Eubanks, Matisse Thybul. None of these guys are scorers. They're not there's not a second star. They had CJ McCollum, but then they traded him uh to uh they traded him to the Pelicans. The Pelicans, yeah. So these um like this roster isn't good. Obviously you have Anthony Simons, but um he's just injured. So you gotta you gotta try to put these pieces around him and and uh, every time like the the trailblazers are in the news as always i feel like circled around dame and you know trying to get him more help and i don't know why the the owner or the gm is hesitant to try to pull off a big trade but yeah yeah i mean 
going to the season, I honestly have pretty high ex- expectations for the Trailblazers. You had Dame coming back from injury. Simons is a rising star. And they made a trade for Jeremy Grant, who had a career year in the Detroit Pistons in his time. So they had a three-headed monster with those three. Um, Yusuf Nurkic coming back from injury. So I actually had them like making the playoffs. But again, like this season just doesn't work out. Dame gets hurt for a little bit. Simons gets hurt for a little bit. Um, Nurkic is out with another injury. Oh, it always seems like he's always getting injured. Jeremy Grant's honestly the only solid one that hasn't really missed too much time. But he's kind of gotten quiet for a bit like for a stretch of games now so now Lillard's back at first he was struggling to uh, open up the season I'm not gonna lie like he was only averaging about like 20 22 points per game but now he's back in full rhythm like the Dame Lillard we always know 60 point game 70 point game now so great to see him having you know his fun now but where would you rank Damian Lillard as a top shooter of all time and a couple months ago he said that the only player he sees that is ahead of him in terms of like what being the best shooter of all time is Steph Curry, which, you know, is kind of universal, like universally accepted that Steph Curry is the best shooter of all time. But he says that besides Steph, he ranks himself as number two as the best shooter of all time. So for you, Kia, where would you rank Dame in terms of the best shooters of all time in the NBA? I mean, it kind of depends on what you consider shooting. If you just if you consider Shooting is just making threes, being able to extend the range, uh, knocking down the uh, shots if they're open. Then I'd say a guy like Ray Allen, uh, someone like a Reggie Miller would probably be a better shooter than Dame. But outside of, but if you're just talking about shooting as being able to make shots, knock down any any shot whenever, uh, regardless of who's on you, I would say Steph is number one, obviously. But then like Larry Bird is probably my number two, and then Kevin Durant. But then after that, I feel like Dame is definitely up there. He can knock down any shot. He's knocked down so many big shots to, you know, carry the uh, the Trailblazers, the one-man show, basically. So I, I would put him, uh, I think, in and around top five. I don't know how I would put him top two, but he's definitely top five in my book uh, for shooters. And I, I'm, I've always been a big fan of Damian Lillard. Um I remember in like uh, way back when in it, during his rookie year when he was on 2K, I like I would you would have to play him in the rookie showcase, and I was so annoying because he was so good, and he's always been that good. So you know, <clears throat> one of my favorite players uh, in the entire NBA, uh, and I don't I, you know I like his confidence. I, I don't necessarily y- you wouldn't catch me uh, being angry at him calling himself a top two shooter of all time, but I I, I would put him ar- uh, more so around the five range. Yeah, so again, for me, Steph Curry, number one, of course. And I think Clay Thompson, I would say, is my number two shooter of all time. But ooh, when it comes to now Reggie Miller, Larry Bird, Damian Lillard, right? I would consider those the next candidates up for that number third spot. And Ray Allen, of course. Man, it's tough because Ray Allen is such a great shooter. And a lot of people don't know, but he was a great scorer back in his days on the Supersonics and the Bucks. Like, he was a shooter, shooter. And a lot of people know him from the Celtics from the Celtics days being a catch and shoot guy, but man, it is tough because we never seen someone like Damian Lillard just pulling up from logo range and honestly, like even Steph Curry doesn't even shoot it from as far as Damian Lillard shoots it consistently. So if we're talking about just a deep ball, I think you could put um Damian Lillard over Steph Curry in terms of just shooting it from that deep. But ooh, but when you talk about the best shooters of all time as of right now, I might have to put Ray Allen as number three still. But then I could honestly make the argument that you could put Damian Lillard over Reggie Miller. 
for the number four spot and Reggie Miller at the five. Reggie Miller is more of a catch and shoot type of guy. Of course, he's one of the greatest shooters of all time, but you have to also count the fact that Damian Lillard consistently hits these three balls from long range. And yes, his percentages isn't the best. Yes, we don't really see him doing a lot of catch and shoot type scenarios, but you kind of have to give respect for the way that he could just shoot it from lights out from all the way out in the parking lot. I think that a lot of people overlooked that. So because of that, I think I'm going to have to slide him at number four and Rich Miller as my number fifth best shooter of all time. But man, that top three fighting for that third spot, you can make so much arguments. And I'm not going like, to get mad if you put Dame over Ray Allen as the third best shooter of all time because, hey man, he's got a big resume to talk about. And I'm not going to be surprised if you do put him up at three. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, Lillard's, um, I mean, the accolades aren't really there, like the MVPs and, you know, um, all that, all that, I like the championships, but outside of that, like, I don't think you can find a, a, a player, um, as, you know, as good as Lillard that doesn't have those accolades that is still making a name for himself and proving it every night. I remember there was an argument back when the NBA top 75 came out, like Dame got in over Kyrie, but like I saw that and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, there's no way you're putting Kyrie over Damian Lillard in, in, in that list, regardless of, you know, Kyrie hitting that shot in the finals. I mean, Kyrie had LeBron. So uh, that's basically, and he was, and he played in the East at that time. So that's basically a free pass in the final, free pass to the finals. Um, and I, I'm saying um, if if there was, if Lillard was in, in that Cavs team instead of Kyrie, I don't think it would have gone to seven games. I think the, I think uh, there would be no comeback. The the Lakers, uh, not the Lakers, the Cavaliers would would have just won in probably like five or six. So yeah, definitely. And let's move on to baseball. We don't really talk about baseball that much over here, but hey, man, there's a new rule that came out, and we've seen it come into effect, and it started to cause a lot of controversy, specifically with the pitch timer. So let me break it down for you guys. The pitch timer was implemented now in the 2023 season for the MLB where the pitchers now have 15 seconds with the bases empty to get ready and throw the next pitch and 20 seconds with runners on the base for the pitcher to throw the next pitch. And for the hitters, they only get one timeout per plate appearance in the game and the batters must be ready to hit the ball and be in the batter's box with 8 seconds left. Pitchers get two disengagements from the pickoff attempt or a step off per batter and violations of that are a, are a bulk. And there's a limit to pickoff attempts led to 26% increase in stolen base attempts in the minor league, so this helped you know make a change in the MLB. And now the pitch timer has reduced the game length by 25 minutes in the minor league in 2022. So they experimented with these rules in the 2022 season in the minor league, and now, of course, being implemented now in the MLB. So with the controversy with this, Kia, do you agree with this new rule change or not? I'm a big fan of it. I mean, the main controversy stems from the fact that the players aren't used to it yet. And uh, in spring training, uh, to kind of break it down, uh, there was a game where it was uh, between, uh, I'm trying to get uh, get it exactly correctly, uh, against uh, Atlanta Braves and the Boston Red Sox. It was 6-6 uh, with run- uh, runners on uh, base, full count. Um, and the batter was not did not get ready within the eight seconds. And the umpire called it a, a strike, so it was obviously a full count as well. So it, it was a strike. Um, the the batter was out, and then the uh, the team switched sides. They had to switch sides, so kind of retired the retired the sides and changed the innings. Um, and the, there was a lot of confusion because obviously not, not, these players aren't that used to it. But personally, I think the, as um, 
the more the players get used to it, the more the fans will come to enjoy it because again, it'll speed up the game. Baseball's uh, baseball's always been a slower game, but sometimes these MLB games just uh, it's ridiculous how long they take. So I feel like as a fan viewing experience on TV, outside of TV, like even in the stadium, uh, if you can you know cut down that uh, the the amount of time the ball is not in play, you know, uh, by as much as you can. That's always a good thing for the MLB. It'll make it more exciting. It'll uh, make it more viewable. And, I mean, obviously, you, like you, uh, you said, Hansel, that uh, they tr- tested this, this out in the minor leagues and it reduced the game length by 25 minutes. 25 minutes is a very substantial amount of time. So, obviously, it works. And I think um, as, uh, the, as fans get ready and as fans get used to these new rule changes, they'll, they'll slowly come to like it because um, it, I, I feel like it's better for the game in order to speed it up and then obviously have what, uh, you know, uh, the players breaking these rules is obviously going to uh, generate more talk as well. So that's going to be another benefit for baseball, obviously getting more people talking about the game, talking about the issues or whatever. Yeah, um, for me, I do agree that there should be a pitch timer but I think 15 seconds and 20 seconds are a bit too long. I mean, a bit too short, excuse me. Uh, you do also have to consider the fact that these pitchers are also communicating with the catcher on what, what type of pitch you have to throw. And for 15 seconds, it's not a lot of time between the time you have to throw the ball, get the ball back, and then get you know get your arm ready, communicate with you know the pitcher, or excuse me, communicate with the catcher, and those 15 seconds, I think, is a very short time. I think if you boost it up to, let's say, 20, 20 to 25 seconds with bases empty and 30 seconds with the runner on base, I think that would be a little bit better. It would give you more time for the pitcher to rest a little bit and also communicate with the catcher as well. And also, I think those seconds, like, if you just bump it up to 5 to 10 more seconds, it's not going to cost too much time as well. Like, it's not like they're taking an extra 30 seconds to get ready because I do also see the point that uh, you know th- these pitchers sometimes take literally a minute for the next pitch to throw and it just gets very tiring like you just see them slowly you know communicate and also for the batter too like sometimes it takes too long to just get back into the batter's box and get ready to hit so i think if you boost it up just a tiny bit for the pitchers to get ready to throw i think i would like it a lot better and for the hitters one i i do like the eight seconds like i saw one video where the pitcher threw the ball. The batter took his time to get back into the box. And there was another video playing on the right side. And it showed Jose Altuve ran around the bases three times before the next pitch was thrown. <laughs> which is pretty crazy to say. So I do like the other rule with the eight seconds with the hitter. But yeah, I think for the regular season, this is going to work very, very well. There's a lot of games in the regular season. Over 100 games. And you know, at some point, it starts to get a little tiring. It starts to get a little boring watching you know, that time after time for these people to get ready to hit. So for the regular season, I do like it. But when it gets to the playoffs, though, I really do hope that the MLB not cancels it, but puts a hold on this rule because the playoffs is, of course, very intensive, not a lot of games. And I feel like every moment counts in the playoffs. So if you kind of speed up that process, it kind of takes away that energy, that, you know, that tension that people have to feel. So... If I have to say anything about this, hopefully they don't use this in the playoffs because I really do want to see that tension. I want to you know, feel that tension between that next pitch. So hopefully they don't put this in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you on the playoffs rule. I feel like uh, we were talking about it earlier. And I think 
the playoffs are a whole different experience. It just doesn't feel as much ML, uh, as much like uh, regular season baseball. So uh, I feel like if the, uh, the MLB are, is trying to implement these rules, just do it in the regular season, see how it goes, and then you can obviously make changes to it, but then don't implement it in the playoffs. Let, let playoff baseball be how it is. Obviously, with playoff baseball, since it is so intense and there's not as many games, uh, the longer like uh, the longer game a uh, runtime for the games also plays into that suspense, plays into the, the the nerves, and obviously that'll help. That helps the fan experience a little bit. Obviously, uh, I don't I don't think the fans enjoy being nervous, but it, subconsciously, you know, it's a good thing for the sport if uh, if the fans you know are feeling the pressure, the players are feeling the pressure, everyone's feeling the pressure. So I do agree with you with taking a whole uh, taking a pause on that, and then maybe. Um, but and then uh, based on how the rule performs, you can definitely obviously uh, lengthen the amount of time that um, the the amount of time on the uh, on this rule. Like with the eight seconds, you can maybe 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 make it ten. The fifteen seconds could be twenty twenty five, and then the twenty seconds could be like thirty seconds. So uh, there's always room for improvement, room for change. And I think um, the MLB just giving this a test run and seeing how uh, the players adapt to it uh, is a good sign, is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, for in the uh, regular season, they do have that overtime rule where, you know, if they go into extra innings, every team starts out on, on the second base with the runner. And But in the playoffs, though, they don't use that at all. They just go back to a fresh slate, no runners on base in the playoffs. So hopefully they could do the same thing with this change because I would really like to see that, you know, implemented in the regular season. But in the playoffs, I like how they do in the playoffs. So hopefully they keep it the same in the playoffs. But that's all we have for today. And for more episodes, check out Top House Sports on Spotify. I'm Anthony Chu along with Kia Nushi, and we'll see you next time.